Who who does have a half hour in Nikki Haley? <laughs> Uh, anyway, this is replacement level morality. My name is Joseph. My name is Andrew, and I definitely don't have half an hour on Nikki Haley. Yeah, so we were discussing topics before we started recording, and we'll just get into it, man. Uh, your your selection was you decided to listen to what Nikki Haley had to say. You know, I guess out of curiosity, morbid curiosity, perhaps. Yeah, as long like so, there's a temptation, right? To fatalistic about the primary and just kind of jump to the conclusion that we like it is a two-man race and it isn't a two-man race there are two people that have a combined greater than 80 percent chance of winning but it's not a hundred more surefire candidates have lost primaries not two of them though <laughs> not, not two of them not two of them ever. I'm trying to I'm trying to build up some engagement for for this this topic yeah. of Nikki Haley entering the race. That seemed newsy, so we thought we'd cover it. Well, well, to be specific, you decided you would cover it, and then our dynamic for our show would be you trying to interest me in what you heard <laughs> and to see if that connection can be made. Can Nikki Haley even get that? So yeah, there's there's a couple interesting things about Nikki Haley. I don't know if I'm up to getting you interested because I, I listen. Nikki Haley's been a figure my whole life, adult life. So I, I know her backstory. I know who she is. I know about the extraordinarily credible allegations of her cheating on her husband with her own staffers back when she was uh, running for governor. Um, extraordinarily credible. Oh yeah. I've heard that as like rumors that flew around, but Mm-mm. Uh, so the guy who did it definitely worked for him, her like is definitely someone who was connected to her and like did a whole interview after she tried to deny it ever happened. It was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to share every intimate detail with the casual, uh, you know, acknowledgement of all of it, because you know, you, I wanted to keep it relatively low key. And then you decided to like, turn it into a story where you are somehow the victim that is not the case. And he's like, yeah, she seduced me. She wanted out, you know, wanted some fucking strange in her relationship. Uh, so I, her attractive younger staffer was her cougar, you know, acclaim essentially. And I was down for it because I, I was young and decided I wanted to do that. And this is where we effed. This is who knew I met her kids like, I can tell you the things about her body that are underneath her clothes, free to verify. Like, she he went the whole nine yards laying out. Like, yeah, I definitely fucked Nikki Haley. Uh, what did Nikki Haley's husband say? Uh, no one said anything about it after all of that came out. So that's so, just the thing that's out there. It's just all of it's out there. You could just find it. <laughs> it's still there. It's not hidden. It was well reported. It is. Am- I was thinking about this as a topic that no one makes level zero cases and it frustrates me to no end. Probably do that at some point because I enjoy making level zero cases. I think smart people try to level themselves and be too clever for their own good. Why has no one made that case? Why I, I don't even is there a case to make 
let me let me let me work this out for myself because I like doing that. So Trump doesn't have an incentive to bring it up because she was his staffer and Trump doesn't see her as a threat. Ron's not actually in the race yet. Why isn't random Twitter journal? Why isn't random Twitter mag? Because uh, Trump can't. I I guess no one who defends Trump can pretend to care about an infidelity. Well, <laughs> that's think, awkward. I think that. Well, yeah. Like Trump's not gonna. Like first of all, does infidelity matter that much? Second, if you're the left wing journalists trying to do this, you're going. Who are you telling the story to? Who's listening to you? Only your own tribe. And they are not going to be particularly caring of the fact that Nikki Haley was adulterous either. Yeah. There's a very small subset of people who probably care, and they also don't care that much. And that's probably why it doesn't get reported very much. Also, that's no, there's no victim angle. Like, this guy's not saying, like, I was a victim. He, he instead talked about how she kept trying to hook up with him even after the fact. And eventually he was dating another girl and that she entered, like saw his phone blowing up with his, with her text messages and, and told him like, you need to put an end to this. Like, I know you're not sleeping with her anymore, but you need to fucking tell her to stop texting you. Cause she's, she still wants your D like, <laughs> like all, all of these details are out there. <laughs> There's so much to know about Nikki Haley. It feels too salacious to be ignored. And yet I totally see this. Like you go through, is there anyone that cares? And I care because it's funny. (laughs) It it, it is part of the, how much of a politician's personal life really matters to you. I don't, it doesn't matter to me if Nikki Haley was faithful to her marriage. It doesn't. It really doesn't in the end. I mean, I prefer people who who have the dignity to maintain the sa- the sanctity of their marriage, but ultimately it is not – you have to go way, way, way down the decision tree before that's a tiebreaker on if I want you to be a political leader or not. Well, that's why I asked about what does – what did her husband say? Because like there are situations where if there's – like some people have open marriages – I care more about this person violated trust because they'll violate trust again in public office. But if there wasn't that expectation, then I guess it doesn't matter. They never said anything that they still maintain. It never happened, you know, which is, I guess all they feel like they can do. And, you know, the people that want to ignore it, ignore it. And that's the end of it. Um, I see what you're saying. I, I honestly think that, personal relationships can be so fraught with so many different kinds of tensions and years upon years of emotional baggage that I wouldn't at all assume that someone who is unfaithful in their marriage is any more likely to violate the public's trust because it's an entirely different impulse. It's an entirely different part of your brain that's working there, you know, and I, I don't know how, good or bad or, or indifferent her relationship with her husband's been. I don't know why she decided to stray outside of it in the fashion that she did. Um, and I prefer not to know because that shit's messy and awful and difficult to deal with, even with your most close, most inst- intimate people in your life, let alone with literally every stranger in the entire world who had the happened to read the story.
and knows these things about you. I couldn't imagine living like that. I would not want that kind of lens being focused on whatever flaws or mistakes I've made in my life. That's not one of them, this, this specific one, but there are other things I've done incorrectly over the course of my life that I am fortunate that, frankly, very few, if no people really know about and has allowed me to grow a bit in my remembrance of it so that I don't do those things again. And yeah, Nikki Haley doesn't get that. And I have sympathy for her and that she has to, to survive that. But it's, uh, it's shocking to me that most people don't know these things about someone who's running for president of the United States in an era when it's, you just Google it. So I actually think about, about this. I was thinking about this recently in terms of Kyle Rittenhouse and how there's a big gender gap in how he's perceived because a lot of men can look back and say, yeah, the dumb thing that I did when I was 17 there, but for the grace of God, go I that it didn't get like famously very underdeveloped prefrontal cortex, very underdeveloped ability to say, this will be the result of this action that I am taking right now. And it's just, just, there's some diral element of did this result in tragedy or not? I feel a little bit bad for Kyle Rittenhouse. He he's going to be Kyle Rittenhouse forever. And I don't think that's necessarily something he wants. I definitely don't think that's something he wants. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he never got to live any kind of normal adulthood. He dropped in from teenager playing Call of Duty, deciding to do an edgy LARP one night, getting caught up in way more realness than he anticipated, electing to defend himself effectively and legally, which is very important. But now, for the rest of his life, he is going to have to have security if he goes to large cities. Just He just is going to have to. Yeah. So he has no idea if some random person is going to want to assault him or try to kill him over the intensely tribal reaction to his actions that are now infamous beyond legend. And he's definitely done his share of leaning into it, but he also By necessity, kind of had no cho- he had no other choice. Yeah, yeah he, like, like he can't go to college now. I think he is. Uh, he was trying to quietly step away at first. At first, he did very little press, and he was trying to go to school, and he was trying to see if he could fade away. You know, after like a couple podcast appearances where he like you know dabs on his haters for a second, like. And I think that that was appropriate given the level of nonsense that happened in the public sphere that he was unable to essentially interact with just over the course of the last several years. He then tried to live the normal life. And then they just wouldn't let him. He got kicked out of two schools before he even set foot on campus. And, you know, once that happens... You realize, okay, well, the rest of the world isn't going to let me live a normal life. So uh, I'll take my CPAC speaking fees and uh, I'll get myself an agent. I'm going to be that fucking guy because it's all I can do. 
It's all you left me with. Good for him. He's doing what he has to. I wish it wasn't that way for him. So I was concerned that I couldn't get half an hour out of Nikki Haley's presidential announcement. I seem to have gotten eight minutes, so this isn't going great. And I don't know if I've done any work towards convincing well, We haven't talked care. about her yet. We talked about her, her yeah. extramarital affair and Kyle right now. So what was... What is she, what is she running on? What is the what is the theory of the case for Nikki Haley to be president of the United States? So I think the theory of the case is the same level zero case as every other successful governor, right? It's I did good things in the state. I will do good things as president. I'm a little removed, but that gets her foreign policy experience. So she's got she's got a presidential resume. Step That's one. true. She did the governor thing. Then she took a, you know, important ambassador ambassador role to like learn the ropes on foreign policy. If this were 1994, she would be perfectly positioned to to be a presidential candidate. I agree. Uh, she made a pitch about age as kind of her opening argument that went over medium, but I believe Ron DeSantis is younger than her, so that's a little awkward. Um, I think she's right about age. I think she is right to tap into that. There's a lot of latent frustration that's very nonpartisan. That's just they're all too old. And I think that's completely accurate and reasonable for a politician to to, to try to uh, to prod that impulse a little bit. That impulse in particular, I've really uncovered something dark. I think about this as we continue to barrel down this this unlighted path of Joe Biden being our president and being like more and more obviously unable to function. It's like the reason why Democrats don't care about that is because they figured out that what happens when you have these aged leaders is that the their their generational peers in the millennial set actually run the office. They, they they end up executing on power from that office through this person that's no longer able to affect power. So they like the fact that Joe Biden is president because Joe Biden doesn't have the energy to stop them. Their actual ideas wouldn't make it, right? So they couldn't get elected into office on their own. But what they could do is Trojan horse behind an 80-year-old man who can't stop them from being radical 80% of the time. And it's that way with, it's what happened with Diane Feinstein. Her office just started, people just started running the office uh, and no one cared if she couldn't form a sentence anymore. She literally didn't know she had resigned it when her resignation, when, when or she was not going to, she was retiring that she wasn't going to run for reelection. She's not resigned. She should resign. I was like, I was wish casting there for a second. She didn't even know that that statement had gone out when she was talking to the press. Like, okay. And that might have just been like a miscommunication of I thought that was supposed to go out this later instead of earlier. But if it wasn't, if it was just that, it would be one thing. But there was evidence and reporting going back years now. Yeah. That she After her husband wasn't. died, she just checked out. Yeah. She's just not there. And then same like as people like Bernie Sanders get older. You know, like it's his staffers are doing the work in these offices and they're all middle aged millennials and and Gen Xers. And so they know that. So they are comfortable 
voting for these boomer figures. The boomers will vote for the familiar figure rather than someone who has to fucking explain themselves. So maybe we shouldn't be skeptical of somebody who has to do a little of explaining themselves, huh? If you want this dynamic to end, take that. And then, you, you know, Nikki Haley hater. So the, the GOP is much more concerned with age because we still are possessed of the fiction that the leader leads. Whereas the Democrats figured out, it's like, no, the system leads. And in fact, the more ineffectual and unable your figurehead is, the better it is for the farther left parts of the ideology, which is why suddenly you're having this convulsion on the left over crime. Have you seen this the last couple of days? Oh, hold on. I, I, before we get to there. Yeah. I, I want to talk about how we try to be historically literate on this podcast. That is ultimately like Wilsonian progressivism that like the technocrats will just be in charge instead of elected leaders. Yeah. That's a very old and bad idea. I, I want to talk about why it's bad a little bit because uh, it's frankly undemocratic. It's the whole administrative state the problem is nobody voted for them. Nobody voted for these millennials that are actually running things. A democracy works to sand off the worst impulses of government. Right? We still had uh, Japanese internment, but we didn't do any of the things that some of the Axis did in terms of keeping their minority populations in control. We didn't wipe out the Armenians because we needed to maintain internal cohesion during a war. We, we, we had our, our little dibble dabbles with genocide and in, in prior centuries, we, we worked out our incivility uh, a little earlier than the rest of the world. We realized we had gone done goofed on a couple things and it was bad that perhaps we were uh, unkind to the native population that was residing along with us in this country. And that, uh, Perhaps we could have done things differently than we had. And maybe maintaining an enslaved population for as long as we did, you know, a solid 60 years after everyone else had sort of figured out that that was a bad mo uh, mojo. <laughs> um, you know, we had a, a we had a moral debt to pay that like we had to have it straightened out a little bit earlier than everyone else. We had to overcorrect a little bit. Yeah. So I, I think there's a very reasonable case that the modal case of a democracy is worse than the modal expert run paradise but the worst instances of expert run tyranny would be far worse than the worst democratic tyranny yeah yeah like democracy uh can fall apart and therefore not terrorize you <laughs> you know like it becomes ineffectual and and breaks apart because it's it's still a, a, a constituent assembly and you're starting to see that more and more with i'm going to still call them flirtations but they're like deep deeper flirtations that right-wing elements in red states about does there need to be a united country anymore is this a is the united states as a concept something that has left its usefulness in some fashion. Would we all be better off if perhaps we found some way to amicably part from each other in some fashion? No. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I think uh, the 
national divorce stuff, I find it very interesting. I think it's worthy of entertaining that in the sense of you interpret it as radical federalism rather than an actual breakup of the country. Uh, but the it's it's that converse, those conversations are happening because the system seems so unable to meet the current moment because it is both uh, oppressive and totalitarian and elected by no one, but also slow and sclerotic and unable to function effectively. It is the worst of both worlds. It's not even like, you know, Disney world, the death penalty, like, like Singapore, right? Like it's not providing to you an extremely clean and orderly way to live. That is free of outside, um, a threat of any kind. And, you know, that's like the upside of living in the Panopticon is that like, you can, at least you're there's just no like, gonna get, you're not going to get stabbed to death. Like, you know, you just, there's that, you've got that going for you. Uh, but uh, it's instead of being effective in enforcing order, it is both intrusive and ineffective. Now they're spying on you and you still get stabbed. It's like, well then fuck you then. What are you doing? <laughs> like, fuck off then you're not very good at this so so there was a this trump plan that got floated around as the worst thing ever to be able to fire some of the the civil servants high-ranking uh, civil servants specifically yes uh and i was like yes i'm all for this under you know the unitary executive theory but I don't, I don't know if Trump's the guy. He just doesn't he won't put in the work to actually fix it. He'll just fire a bunch of people cuz that's his brand and then let the chips fall where they may. And it's going to take some actual work to well, actually fix the administrative agencies. The the that's the I mean, that's the selling point right now for him is that he brought on these new guys, Cash Patel and someone else uh, that have been putting together like the plan to execute on on firing a bunch of the civil service. So like, this is the rule. This is what you'd have. This is what you can do already. You know, like the really bloodthirsty lawyer types who have already that have the plan picked out of exactly how you'd move forward and what you would need who you would need, what to do, where, and the plan's already in place. It's just like plug and play. As soon as he becomes president, these guys get into the spots they need to, and they just cascade this plan into place using the existing machinery. I will bet any amount of dollars that any, that like is reasonable, that that would not go well. No, I mean, you, you it's it would be a dumpster fire somehow. Like, you know, that's there. There is, I'm offering the case that would be made of like Trump would, you're right. He's not good at managing anything. So how could you tr trust him to actually pull this off? And he, and the Trump, the would be Trump defender of which I am not would say, actually, they've already thought of that. These, these two guys, they got the whole plan. That's why you know about it. They've put it into the press. They've got all, you know, every fucking guy you'd want on this, figuring out the blueprint to actually execute on it. And the counter reply is, well, that's well and good, but is Trump actually still going to do it? And that's like an open question. Is Trump really going to just like cede the power to these dudes to do this without being interfered with, without someone whispering in his ear and telling him not to? Like, this is what happened every time over the last, you know, his prior administration. 
So you'd have some based instinct and then suddenly someone would tell him not to do it. Yeah. And the, the impression that I got from listening to this Nikki Haley interview was like, the case that you're making as a successful governor makes a lot of sense. It's just everything about you, except for the foreign policy experience, Ron DeSantis has better. And that's, and that's why she's left in these awkward positions of the don't say gay bill didn't go far enough, which I don't, I don't buy her ability to outflank Ronda Sanctus on the yeah, right. Like, well, if, if you're her, why bother? You're the one that like forced the Confederate flag off of state grounds in South Carolina. Like you picked your side in that battle a long time ago. And Nikki Haley of a prior, uh, Epoch decided it was better to play to the center of the Republican Party on these types of culture war battles than to play to the right. And in making that choice, personally rational at the time, but like people remember and they're not they don't think that you have the stomach to fight against a trans, you know, an ideological trans you know, sociopolitical movements that's going to require a lot of willing to be the fucking bad guy to beat. You're going to have to, you're going to deal with a lot worse than what you were told about allowing the Confederate flag to fly in South Carolina that to, to beat back the trans blob. And so like talking about how, what Ron DeSantis has done is not enough is that sounds so hollow coming from specifically her. Like Mike Pence could say that. I'd buy that from Mike Pence. I would buy that from Mike Pence. I think Mike Pence is willing to take a much softer approach to the battles, but he'll fight them because he believes, I mean, his his belief structure demands it. So, so when you say Nikki Haley won't fight the battles, why is that? Because these strike me as such radically different battles that you're talking about. When... They seem completely unrelated. That it's not just like the the a unidimensional spectrum does not capture the differences between keeping trans ideology out of classrooms and flying the Confederate flag at us. Like <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I I certainly agree from a qualitative perspective. One is certainly more uh, important uh, than the other. We'll say uh, in terms of keeping it to defeating it. To like being to finally achieving a culture war victory, uh, there's there's a better counter case against the Confederate flag. Um, absolutely, all these things are true. But the heat on getting South Carolina to lower that flag was insignificant compared to the heat that is on the culture war today. There there was very little upside to Nikki Haley doing what she did. In turn, and only downside in terms of appealing to the GOP base. So, if her ambition at the time she was governor of South Carolina was to achieve higher office, she decided at that point I would rather make a general election decision than a decision that certifies my bona fides to the to the right, to which I will interrogate claims from the left vigorously to say I'm not going to allow this your your terroristic threats to win you know there was protests they were you know pulling statues down it was resistance people wanted resistance for the sake of saying no to the mob at the time 
It wasn't like I, I have no particular care for the Confederate flag or, or memorials to Confederate officers, but I am very much against allowing a mob to be justified in their actions by rewarding it. And you say no, even if you kind of agree that that stuff shouldn't be there, you still say no, because they have to be informed that their terroristic attempt did not work and that they will not get what they want because that is how we enforce the rules of our society. And that was a clear, that whole event adventure broke out and in miniature of what we saw, I guess, five or six years later. And at the time, Nikki Haley decided to pick cowardice and to give in to the mob. I don't think she's got the stomach to deal with the trans issue. This is going to sound hopelessly naive, but you don't think there's a chance that she actually just didn't want to fly a Confederate flag. I uh, think this is the same lady who, uh, you know, banged her own staffer and then uh, contemplated leaving her husband for this uh, fresh piece of ass and then sexted him later. Like, yeah, she seems pretty cold and calculated and, and willing to, make the decision optimal for her. And she thought it was optimal for her to pivot towards the center because she was going to be term looted out of being governor. She knew she had to run for president someday. I hope that she's right, that it was optimal for her because if it wasn't, that would be a pretty sad indictment of the electorate. If there was a lot, and we've already seen the attack ads that it's a liability that she took the flag down and I hope that's wrong, but I don't think it is. I, I think it it's correct that she's a liability because she took the flag down. And I think it's okay to draw that conclusion. Not anybody who's drawing that conclusion because they have great affection for the Confederate flag. I don't agree with them, but I do think that there is a piece there where you say the, we all know what the cultural fight for the next four years is going to look like at this point it's going to be rough sledding and I'm not really wanting to go to battle with someone who the last time there was rough sledding, they caved, especially when there's a guy right next to her who's doing the sledding right now. He's like figuring out how to beat it. You know, he's, he's, he's using his state to test theories. (laughs) Like he's actively workshopping solutions in front of us and God bless him for it. Again, this might sound hopelessly naive, but I don't love siding with your side, even if you think they're incorrect on the merits, because don't give an inch. We must do phalanx things. I understand that that impulse exists. I understand that society needs partisans. I'd just rather be. I mean, I'd rather the merits of the case be more steadfastly appropriate for that level of defense. So assume a, there's a mob demanding that the flag be taken down. B you agree on the merits that it should be taken down. What's your plan? Do you just like give it four years? And then once everyone's forgotten, you take it down. Like what, what's your plan? No, you say go home. Do not be violent. We will create a statewide referendum on the flag. The majority will rule. This is a democracy. This is how it's supposed to work. And if you can make a compelling case to your fellow citizen that we shouldn't be displaying the the Confederate flag, then that will be what the rule is. And if you are insufficiently persuasive, then the rule will remain. That's all. 
that that's all that was required. But she unilaterally chose to take action. She chose to give in. This is a representative republic. We don't do referenda for everything. No, we but elect people to make decisions for us. But, but, but we also do referenda. I mean, all the time. You're constantly asked, particularly at a local level. You're constantly asked, particularly at a local level, if you wish to tax yourself or not, and in exactly what ways to for specific goals. That happens on every ballot. Uh, there are often referenda questions specifically as it relates to the mechanics of, of government that you have to weigh in on. That happens on a state level as well. We've had votes for if marijuana would be legalized in the state. We've had if casinos will be permitted in the state. We've had statewide referenda. But you are you are given these options all the time in this representative republic. So, yes, putting on the state ballot, do we do this or not, is entirely appropriate and within our tradition and always has been. But so is... I have been elected as the chief executive and I can execute. Yeah, true. I'm not saying that Nikki Haley didn't have the power to do what she did. She clearly did. She did it. I'm saying she was wrong to do it because she it's took not the how easy you way. would handle it. She, it's how, she chose the easy way out. She chose to give in to violence. She chose to give in to the pressure instead of saying, no, that's not how we do this. I am, I am specifically going to take another course of action because I don't want anyone to think that they're ever going to get something from me because they've turned, they burned something down or tore down a statue or acted out in public. There are rules and this is how we will follow them. She's never going to do that. Ron Santos will. Ron Santos has proven he will. This has been the Ron DeSantis show. Thank you for listening. <laughs> no, I, I, like I said, I think that her cases are just worse on on most levels the one thing like i know nobody votes on foreign policy but there's a war happening so i i ron DeSantis needs to shore up that aspect of the ticket but he's got a million lines to do that oh yeah people trying to procrastinate procrastinate people trying to cast the stars right now you're so you're so early like right DeSantis is clearly waiting until he's done with the Florida legislative session and he's, you know, he's trying things out. He's trying messages out through that process. We've seen it every day, different bills that are kind of hitting the state house and he's kind of seeing what's too far. What's in the lines. What do people like? What, what, what seems like it might work. This is really smart of him, you know, because he's got to come up with a message that gets him through Trump into the presidency. Right. He wants it to be a straight line. He doesn't want to have to like pivot. He doesn't want to have to change because he realizes authenticity is why he's popular. So the only way you stay authentic is if you maintain a very consistent message through the entire campaign. There's no doing one thing in the, the primary and doing nothing in the general anymore. That shit died 25 years ago. The internet showed up. Can't do it. Right. You don't hear about politicians like little bits on the news and like literally when you go to see them or you read. <laughs> you can't hide it anymore. So if you're him, you use this legislative session, you project that course, you figure out what works, you bide your time, you bank every dollar you can from all of these right donors who've been waiting for someone like you to come along that can actually be Trump. So you're just shoveling handfuls of cash into your war chest because you need every single fucking dime and you fucking know it. So you don't want to, you don't, you don't want to announce until you're absolutely ready. You get through the session, probably sometime in April, in the spring, it ends. You've signed everything you're going to sign and you book your announcement and then it's on. 
And he's going to stay his fire on everything until he's ready. Because he knows the moment he finally steps forward and says, I'm challenging you, it's going to be the most ridiculous shit show of his life for like a year. (laughs) Like a solid year. It's going to be right now. It's just annoying. It's going to be a year solid of this man vomiting into your mouth every single hour of every single day. This will be the greatest wound he has ever suffered in the whole of his life that you are even trying to defeat him. And he is so driven to disintegrate you because losing would be 20 times worse. And Ron DeSantis knows this. <laughs> he knows the fate that awaits him. But as the servant leader that he is, he knows he must endure it. For it is the only way that Trump will ever be eliminated from this earth. He must be struck down by a knight sheathed in silver armor, wielding a holy sword that finally smites him. He must endure the dragon's flame while he does so. This is his fate. This is what he has been chosen to do. So he will, in good time, take up his sword and go to fight him. But in the meantime, he's going to chill with his wife and kids. He's going to get all the money he can in his bag. And he's going to take a really big, deep breath sometime around May 12th, right before he goes onto a stage. The deep breath before the plunge. (laughs) Am I right or am I right? Like 99.5% of people, I am less enthusiastic about Ron DeSantis than you are. But I hope he beats Trump. (laughs) (laughs) I I feel like I understand how Ron DeSantis lives his life, at least in my in how he interacts with it. And that's why I like like him a lot. Like, I think he sees the world in a fashion close to how I see the world based on like how he answers questions, how he deals with other people, how he all of his interviews I've watched. And I'm like, I think that's why I like him so much. It's like, if I were Ron DeSantis, I could see myself as living Ron DeSantis's life and being Ron DeSantis. You know, I see myself in him. <laughs> well, now, now I like him a little less. Oh, <laughs> you're, you know, you're, you're, you're like 20% too pragmatic for me to be comfortable with you having like the, 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 the drone strike switches. <laughs> Yeah, like, but I, I will say this: I'm self-aware enough to know that if I if I were put into that position, if I were if it was President Joseph Schuster, I would say, okay, you know what I need? I need the world's most annoying lawyer to be the one that has to challenge me every time I want to invoke this power, right? Like, I need I need to find some inimpeachable, unbiased person to tell me all the ways that this is an incorrect thing to challenge me in some fashion, to check me so that I can think about that and, and not give in to what I want rather than have to honor the institution I'm a part of. I I am here for the Joseph Schuster, David French unity ticket. Yeah. Like it, it would be <laughs> David French too, right? Like it would be okay, David, <laughs> Tell me why I shouldn't do this, right? Like, you have the floor. <laughs> like, we'll entertain you telling me why I shouldn't do this for as long as you want to tell, tell me I shouldn't do this. I may still choose to do it, 
but I am going to let you let you have the floor first. You know, and you'll never be fired. No one, like you'll always be in the room. You will know everything, right? Like I will hide nothing from you. <laughs> you will know the darkest and deepest secrets of this administration. So, so that's Nikki Haley. Uh, she spoke well, which is a thing that used to matter. Forty-two minutes later, we have talked about Nikki Haley for about twelve of them. Yes, yes, that I, it might have been fourteen. In, in other disturbing Twitter news, um, have you heard about the um, the Atlanta training police training center protests? Yes, this, the uh, protest is a, is a weak word, but yes. So this place is called Cop City. It's like the hashtag, and it's supposed to be a, a negative you know, connotation. And it's a regional training center for Georgia police. So Atlanta PD is building it, but they're essentially building it so that police from like all of the other like counties and local jurisdictions can also train their police officers there, which is much more efficient than trying to like train them in small units in those jurisdictions. Cause they might not have the facilities and also takes it out of private hands. So you'd have like a uniform training profile for Georgia police officers. So you can maintain better standards. It's actually like a really good thing to do this because that way you don't have like cops who are getting their peace officer certification from a local adult ed- education annex or something like that, and then getting to be police officers in Mount Healthy or something. That's a community around here in Cincinnati. It's very small. It has their own police force. And so they're doing that in Georgia. We have that in here. They're building that in here in Cincinnati, too. Same reason. But for whatever reason, this one in Atlanta has captured the attention of the um, of the uh, leftist elite, we'll call it. So I don't know what brought it to their attention. But they certainly found out about the place and the professionalist militant left have descended upon this rural part of Georgia outside of Atlanta um, to try and disrupt the construction of this police training facility pretty consistently over the last, what, three months? It's been, it's been a minute. I, I, I won't. So I, I understand that, uh, one of the solutions to America's police problem has always been, oh, we need better training. So I kind of understand this case. Uh, but a lot of times the training that they get, if you've ever seen like some of the the warrior cop documentaries, is pretty horrifying. So I can I can also see where the, the left elite is coming from of like, well, if you're just going to teach them, I've, I've heard it called an urban warfare campus. where you're like teaching them to, uh, to, you know, everyone is a threat to you. That's certainly something that American cops get hammered into their head at, at some of these trainings. I mean, and, I, I've, I've sat through some of this stuff personally and, you know, as part of the, you know, what professionally I've been involved with it. Like they had to build this regional training facility because they need space for like a workout area like a a gym for everyone to be able to go to and consistently keep themselves in shape. Um, They need room to be able to like train police dogs and like go through the actual process of collecting and, and doing like the work of, 
confronting drug dealers, which is something they have to do all the time, which can be, you, you need a space to be able to set up scenarios so that you can kind of get your officers used to what it's going to take to have like, to interdict. I'm talking about normal street crime stuff. You know, I'm not talking about urban warfare. I'm not talking about like getting out the Jeeps and SWAT or anything like that, but just it's you and five guys. And there's this wanted heroin dealer who shot two people and he's over there with three of his dudes. How do you get him? You know, uh, I believe the answer is you call for backup. Cause... Well, that's just it. Your backup's there. There's five of you. <laughs> like, that's the point is at some point you have you can't bring in every cop in the city. You and your guys have that are in that part of the city have to act to get him while he's available to be arrested for the crimes that he has committed. And so you now with that scenario in place, you have to train your cops to be like, you have limited, you know, resources. You have to you, you your acceleration to to force has to be deliberate and within certain rules. So certain things you can do and can't do. And in what order? It's all being videotaped, right? So you're being held to account. And these things are very complex and do require space and of forethought to provide sufficient training to an officer so that when they go into a situation like that, they don't do something that gets themselves or others killed unnecessarily. So I, I, I get that it's like in vogue to insult the the militarization of the police. And certainly there are examples of that that have gone too far. And even in, I've, I've seen a request for a stun glove, like out of minority report. Like, yeah, sometimes these guys can go too far themselves because they get into what they're doing. So that's part of it too. Okay. Well, I admit that, but the job is still very gnarly and requires the constant training, even for your officers that aren't in like the police Academy to keep their skills fresh so that they actually are good at what they do. And the last thing you want for people like me who are more critical of the police is for them to be nervous and panicky and in unusual. The more familiar the situation is, the better for all parties involved. Correct. And if you, you know, you're, you're weak knees, palms are sweaty is bad enough when you're trying to enter a rap battle. Imagine when you're wielding the state of the, uh, the the force of the state, and you've <laughs> there are civilians around, and your decisions could get people killed, including yourself. Like, it, it's good. It's good to have trained police officers, and it's good to have trained police officers at every level. Like, part it's of good the to have regional standards. Yeah, it's one of the things that we uh, uh, that libertarians have correctly been longtime critical of is there are cops that everyone knows are terrible. And they just get hired at random small town sheriff's departments. And he's like been fired from four police departments already. Like, okay, why is so? Cause he has no high, cause he has a state certification to be a peace officer and these small places are paying 12 bucks an hour and who the hell is going to take the job except, you know, someone like that. And you, if you obliterate that by having a, a uniform set of standards that your biggest Metro PD is establishing cause they have the most, ability to to train at scale and be able to provide these 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 resources then that's good and we're doing that for all of our small communities and that's good that we are here in our in our city but these nuanced discussions as to why a regional training police training center is actually a good thing is so far beyond the capacity of these antifa militants to have um they're just trying to burn the place down 
and actually succeeded in doing so over the last weekend. So there had been protests at the site. They had ex- they had accelerated to a place of force being used over the last month when a violent conflict between Georgia police officers and Antifa protesters resulted in one of the protesters being killed. And But I think the more important part of this is that use of force was immediately held up without a trial. The cop who killed that guy is in the clear. He's back at work. So... The, the understanding is that this guy had a weapon, did something aggressive towards a police officer, and in Georgia, you fuck around, you find out, and that's what happened. I, I think the assumption was that was going to calm things down. It was like, now that you, this is in Portland, this is in Oregon, this is some place where you can, you know, try and, like, beat police officers up and not expect to receive a lethal force in return. This is Georgia. We will we will shoot you if you try to hit us with a baton. Um, but then this apparently- is also true for non cops. Like if you try to attack people with yes. batons in Georgia, good luck. Yeah, in in a lot of states actually, like <laughs> you attack someone with a baton, normal people can just be in the legal right to kill you. Don't attack people with batons. Can we make that an official statement of replace level morality? Don't attack people with batons. It's Hold on, bad. I'm tweeting it out right now. Don't That's good. attack people with batons. TM. <laughs> so, uh, apparently there was a music festival at a venue relatively close to the site where this uh, tra- regional training facility is going to be built. At some point, a fair number of the music festival goers who are all masked it looked very very organized broke off from that music festival hard to say exactly how many probably more than 50 less than 100 infiltrated the site drove off the police officers that were there and it was only a handful so they chose retreat because they could have easily been overwhelmed and killed and they tried to resist them and broke across the street with a backup and just kind of set up a firing position for themselves um and then with the protesters in the site, they just burnt everything down. They had Molotov cocktails. They burnt everything at the site and left. And for listeners who aren't aware, how much premeditation does the presence of a Molotov cocktail imply? It's that like that's enough. <laughs> it's enough. So like that was the plan for the night, and I've been working on this for the past two weeks. Or is that I got really amped up by the, the music at this festival. They like were talking about, let's go burn it down. And I got a crowd going. And I just happened to have some alcohol on me. And I know how to. Well, put, and Molotov cocktail requires it. petrol. So it's it's a little bit more planning than that. Okay. That's that's what I'm yeah. asking. Yeah. People don't know that. I'm one of them. I've never. Yeah. Uh, I'm on enough watch lists without finding out how to make a Molotov cocktail. You know, well, the the key element, is the Molotov cocktail came into being as a consequence of the Winter War and the sort of slower burning petrol oil that was used for heating, uh, particularly in you know the north. And then just putting that into an empty bottle with a, a, a soaked lit rag because it burned slow enough that you could light the rag and it wasn't going to immediately explode. 
and you can throw it and then the impact of it against everything just spreads the gas in proximity to the fire enough that it coats things. It's a very crude way of progressing it, like an incredibly dangerous. <laughs> like he's all like a fiery thing. Yeah, like you're literally holding a gas soaked rag in a bottle of gas. And it's like the only reason it worked at the time as often and as well as it did is that gas back then didn't burn fast because it was being used to heat homes like oil heat, you know? So, uh, you know, and so some brain trusts out there will try to make Molotov cocktails with gasoline and will just like fucking flare immediately and they'll freak out and drop it and drop it on themselves. It's like, yeah, of course. <laughs> like, you not know when this is? You know, that's what it's supposed to be? You did it wrong. <laughs> we believe in news you can use here at Replacement Level Morality. Don't make Molotov cocktails out of we'll gasoline. I'm definitely not going to describe the process. I'm definitely not going to like give directions, but from a historical perspective, it is like, you know, one of those things that's uh, interesting how it came to be, you know, like it's just the way people will wage war in desperate circumstances. I find it interesting. The same way I find like the way that there are like, there were basically house made submachine guns that amongst the, uh, the Polish resistance during the second world war, trying to like ambush SS guys and all that. Like, all of that's interesting to me. We're historically literate here <laughs> on this podcast. We're uh, we're literate in how to make Molotov cocktails. Anyway, so they burned <laughs> down this whole place. Yeah. And so, like, they arrested 25, 26 of them, charged them with domestic terrorism, but on a state level, so I don't know how serious a crime that is. Federal domestic terrorism is, like, life type of beefs. So, like, it's... At a state level, hard to know what kind of felony level that they're looking at with that. But at the same time, it is not good uh, at, at a minimum that we've reached a point in this amping up of tensions that we're getting closer and closer to that letter bomb 68 feel than than getting further away from it. You know what I mean? I felt like 2020 was like a peak of that energy and it went away for a while. Well, it's starting to come back in some fashion, just like the, uh, the general malaise, urban malaise, crime issues. And now you've got like more of this militant fringe that's poking through at the, at the edges in a real way. Now, this is the consequence of having a ensconced and enriched, um, you know, ad political agitation class that we have allowed to exist as a consequence of all of these these nonprofit aid sort of apparatus that allows them to be professional protesters and professional agitators. Uh, this is not on the front page of CNN at the moment. Twenty some people charged with domestic terrorism feels newsy after burning down the construction site for a police training facility. One of them was a lawyer at the Southern Poverty Law Center. Staff attorney. Arrested for domestic terrorism. Anyone taking bets on if he loses his job? Oh. Oh. That's spicy. Isn't it? I don't even... I don't know which side I'd take. Mm. 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 SPLC? I don't think they fire him. It's, it's a domestic terrorism charge. 
man. Well, here's the thing. He's going to lose his law license. Hmm. Probably can't do much work as a lawyer then. He's he's going to lose his ability to practice law. So what do you like? That might be your out. To say, well, he can't be a staff attorney if you have a law <laughs> license anymore. <laughs> um, it's like, you, you know. This isn't the first time lawyers in Atlanta have gotten jammed up being, you know, diddling around with fucking Molotov cocktails. Remember those two Atlanta lawyers who had like trying to make them their car during the protest during George Floyd? And they got fucking busted by the police. Had to plead for on like federal charges. <laughs> like they, 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 oh yeah, it was a real fucking mess for them because they were caught with the actual trying to make Molotov cocktails. They were caught in the act. They were lawyers. Yeah. Um, they they had they they had to duck and jive to avoid uh, um, serious jail time. So these guys they did it, you know. They fucking they burned the place down, right? There's no saving them. Anyone who gets pinched in this is gonna eat the whole meal, you know. I think they fire him. Okay. I think this is too far. I think that they're gonna, you know, is the dust. I mean, it just happened on Sunday, so the the dust hasn't even really settled yet. Like they arrested 25 people. I'm sure every police officer in the area is trying to find, I, they're going through every frame of video they have to find every motherfucker they can and get them in. Yeah. And um, they're, you know, they're short on time because, you know, a lot of these people just can spread out, you know, and get the fuck out of Dodge. Um, but this guy, he's, he's going to get fired. Because these guys are, they're going to, they're going to, they're not going to, they're not letting this go. There's not going to be no settling out of this. They're going to drag them, every single one of these people in the court. And on that hopeful note. How do I close? <laughs> I thought you were kind of like, I thought, well, <laughs> you, you started it. I was going to let you. You, 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 you always close. I was just trying to like lead you in. Well, thank you for that lovely lead in, Andrew. <laughs> this is forbidden replacement level morality. We hope you've had a good time for as long a time as we have. See you next week. Bye.